0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. In case you missed it last week, I've rolled out a new feature on Unconfirmed, a weekly news recap. This summer, I conducted a survey to find out what you listeners wanted, and a number of you said you'd be interested in a weekly news recap on the show. I've now added a few minutes onto every episode of Unconfirmed, where I go over the big news stories that week. So today, after I close out with my guest, be sure to stick around for my week in crypto recap. Now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the market news in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. For a lot of crypto fans, it's hard to find one place where you can trade, plan, and discuss crypto strategy. Get started with eToro and the world's number one social trading platform.
1: CypherTrace cutting-edge cryptocurrency intelligence powers anti-money laundering, blockchain analytics, and threat intel. Leading exchanges, virtual currency businesses, banks, and regulators themselves use CypherTrace to comply with regulation and to monitor compliance. Crypto.com. Get their app and buy crypto at true cost. Get a metal MCO Visa card
0: with up to 5% back on all your spending. Download the Crypto.com app today. Today's guest here with me at DevCon in Osaka, Japan is Deborah Simpier, COO and co founder of Althea Network. Welcome, Deborah.
2: Thank you for so, so much for having me.
0: What problem are you trying to solve, and how does Althea Network address that problem?
2: So we're trying to solve the problem of um, big telecom being highly monopolized, and um, uh, right now we see that legacy Internet users are paying high prices for slow speeds uh, because last-mile networks are are siloed by ownership and have long lock-in. Uh, when you have Internet service to your home, you're, you're locked in with just one, one device and one Internet service provider. But with Althea, instead of one company owning all of the infrastructure of the network, Althea software lets us leverage existing homes and businesses in an efficient way. And then we can build out decentralized Internet service providers um, where neighbors pay neighbors for bandwidth.
0: And so you live in an area where people are using this. Tell me about
2: uh, where you live and why you you guys don't have easy-to-access Internet yeah, so I live in Clatskanie, Oregon, which is a rural community. That's, that's typical like many rural communities where, um, there's this cross population, there's this, some lower income folks, um, you know, blue collar people and some challenging geography. And, um, many people there see a megabit per second speeds as their normal home internet and cost is also a barrier. But that's not like the, the whole story. There's actually is fast, high speed internet through the center of town. It just can't, it's not well-coordinated to be able to reach the, the, the people that don't have good, good internet service. So, so this is why we set up the decentralized uh, Althea network there. And um, it, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting to see now that we have people that own uh, like a farm and, or a business or a house are or, or setting up some uh, antenna equipment and forwarding bandwidth to their neighbors and getting paid automatically for doing that.
0: And this also uses Ethereum.
2: Oh, yes. Um, so basically, uh, people get Ethereum from uh, like the Coinbase app or, um, you know, any kind of app uh, for exchange on your phone. And then they get that into the router by scanning a QR code on the dashboard. And then once it's actually in, in the router, it bridges to XI. So it has a stable, a stable component. I don't know what XI is. So XI is a stable uh, a coin um, on, on the, uh, the Poland network. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. So, so this allows people to buy the easily available Ethereum using their debit cards, but still um, have that stabilized out in their router so that their internet bill doesn't fluctuate between $20 to $40 based on the price of Ethereum.
0: Oh, okay. So they're basically paying each other in dollars using this stable coin.
2: Yeah. It, it, it feels very much to the end user like they, are, that, that, um, they put $20 on their router and um, that pays their neighbors for, for the bandwidth.
0: And so physically, like what is the setup and like where do the different players on the network get their hardware or equipment and how do they pay for it? Like do they have to pay it up front and then they like wait to get paid back by the neighbors or like how does that part work?
2: Yeah, so we also realize that in the internet service providing space, there's kind of a need for, you know, if something goes wrong, you're going to call somebody or, you know, maybe you need some help with installing equipment or someplace to buy the equipment from. And so we have an also another incentive um, for what we call the group of organizers, right? So um, in, this, in this particular network in Oregon, it's a cooperative and um, they're there to help people get installed and, and also there if there's questions and, and that kind of thing as well.
0: So basically, but they have to like pay it up front and then they get paid
2: back. Um, yeah, so for people that want to participate and resell bandwidth, they buy their, they, they buy their equipment, um, and then the network organizers help them set it up. And then, like, well, for example, um, we have one a relay. Her name, her name is Linda. She, she lives on a farm, and she hosts um, a, a connecting antenna and a couple of sectors antennas that connect her neighbor up.
0: And, and a relay is what? Somebody who's giving Internet access to others? Okay.
2: Yeah, so they're, they're taking bandwidth from um, the, the sort of high-speed fiber backhaul and then they're connecting their neighbors up.
0: And the back hall is like where kind of your little community connects to the main internet, is that? That's a good description,
2: yeah. So Linda, um, she, she now that she has her hardware set up, her router in her home, um, is, is like a normal consumer router, but it's running Althea software. So as her neighbors, her connected neighbors use the bandwidth, she gets paid automatically to her router wallet. So about once every couple of months, she cashes out her $100, $150. Okay. And um, are is the payments,
0: is that like per usage or is that a, like a monthly payment? And like, you know, do I, like if I'm using it and I'm not a relay... Do I like have to manually pay it or is it like automatically done?
2: Yeah. So that's, that's the key is that users load their routers up with, um, they buy Ethereum and they, they um, load their routers up with token. And as they use it, then that is um, as they use bandwidth on a per gigabyte basis, basis, then the routers automatically compute the billing and pay the upstream relay.
0: Oh, wow. So it's like pay as you go, basically. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this allows different relays. Um, now, one thing I did want to mention really briefly is that one of the key components of Althea, it's a, what they call a price aware routing protocol. So that if, if you're an end user and you're connected to more than one upstream provider, our protocol will switch automatically second by second to the cheapest link. So it adds in that sort of automatic competition.
0: Oh, wow. So the neighbors can like, char- or the relays can charge different amounts?
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, so then they're incentivized to like...
2: Yeah. Okay. We have we have one user, we have one relay that will go um, every weekend with a bottle of wine to his neighbors and <laughs> see if they want to get connected to his relay. So that's also that kind of viral growth.
0: Oh, that's cute. That's funny. Yeah. And then
2: what about like privacy
0: issues? Because like if I'm, you know, using somebody else's internet, essentially, like is that... Something that, you know, could be a security issue?
2: Um, yeah. So first I want to just make sure I clear up any kind of miscommunication. It, it also, it's not a Wi-Fi hotspot. So when users connect to your neighbor, you're using long-range antenna equipment on your roof. Um, so you're not using the Wi-Fi hotspot of your, of your home connection. Um, and then uh, so also we encrypt all of those links in the, in the local network using um, WireGuard. And, and then that's decrypted at, at a server in a data center.
0: And how much are people generally earning
2: from this? So, um, Linda is a good example. She has about six or seven connected people, and uh, she makes, you know, she offsets her own usage, so her own usage is basically free for her, and then she'll, you know, make maybe $100 every two months or 150 something like that.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So, she's not paying for her usage?
2: Yeah, she's not paying, and then she's also making some money.
0: Okay. And how many users do you have overall?
2: Um, so, we have around 40. Okay. Yeah. Uh, We got started about about March of this year and um, now and we're also rolling out with some new networks coming soon, too. Oh, cool. Well, so tell me how you even got started doing this. Well, I um, I had been in the net neutrality uh, and Internet freedoms kind of space for a while um, and then in, in a legislative perspective trying to, you know, move move regulation to protect the freedoms of our internet. And um, uh, also just a mesh networking enthusiast. Uh, really excited about that. Um, but I had been doing that for a while and realized that I wasn't, you know, able to make traction that way. I wasn't able to affect change to protect our, you know, key freedoms or, or, or change the sort of monopoly big telecom has. And it was at that time that I met the other two co-founders, Jahan Trumbach and Justin Kilpatrick, who had been working on um, Althea before me, and I had, I had a company at that time called Cascadian Meshnet, and, and that's when we um, started working together.
0: All right. So in a moment, we're going to talk about how Althea got started and where they're going next. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com. Have you seen the MCO Visa card? A metal card loaded with perks with up to 5% back and unlimited airport lounge access. They pay for your Spotify and Netflix too. What's not to love? With Crypto.com, not only can you spend your crypto, but you can grow it too. Earn up to 8% per year on the most popular coins like BTC, ETH, XRP, and up to 12% per year on stable coins. Join the over 1 million others and download the Crypto.com app today.
1: Will the world follow France and advocate banning privacy coins? Will government-backed stablecoins become the new fiat? Are distributed and peer-to-peer exchanges just a flash in the pan? The answer is maybe. Virtual currencies can flourish and create a new, private, and more versatile economy. But that grand vision can't happen without keeping crypto clean. And that requires support of governments and accountability for bad actors. Privacy-enhanced compliance using cryptographic controls has the potential to preserve anonymity without compromising legitimate investigations. CypherTrace is working on this vision of the future. Sign up to stay up to date on the Privacy-enhanced Compliance Initiative and receive authoritative crypto AML reports quarterly. wwwciphertracecom slash keepcryptoclean. Back to my conversation with Deborah Simpier.
0: So when you were saying, like, you know, you got involved in this, like, did you kind of just recently move to the community and then realize, like, oh, they have this problem? Or, like, how did you guys figure out that this could be a solution for you?
2: Um, Well, I had – so I had moved to the community about 13 13 years ago. So no, I had been there for quite some time and had had always envisioned that a community network and a sustainable network like this would be the answer. Um, But before – before, the technology, even to run a wireless internet service provider, would not work well in this community because of the, actually some of the geographical challenges. The, the way that the network would have to be configured around a centralized tower would not make physical sense. Althea allows us to, to set this up in a, a an agile kind of decentralized way that allows us to get around some of these physical barriers even, too, um, that was not possible. So so really, it was Althea's technology that made this network possible. And what were the physical barriers? Um, so a night lies in a valley. And, uh, and, and there's these like large hills. So, um, you, if you have one tower on one hill, you would not be able to see under the, the shadow of that particular tower or that particular hill. And it, it's, it's pretty much just a bunch of hills and valleys and also large trees. And so these relays, then maybe they can see four or five houses around that corner and then they bounce to another house. And in fact, we have one link, if you don't mind, I, I'd love to share with you. Yeah. That it bounces from the central, it, it goes from the central part of the town to out in the valley, to up on the hill, to another relay up on the hill, and then from up on the hill another three miles out to where the river is to oh, wow. connect up someone out there. There would not have been any way possible to connect that person up before. Oh, wow. They went from having a megabit per second DSL connection to, you know, 40 to 50 megabits per second of broadband internet oh,
0: wow. because
2: that was possible.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there's something very Rube Goldbergian about it, but like, it works, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I, I think that our networks, um, you know, coming online, we have some urban networks and um, that may look a little bit more standard and and, and then, than the network we have in Kotskinei. There's, there's definitely some challenges there. Um,
0: and it, so before we get to like your expansion, I'm curious, like when you were trying to explain the crypto aspect to the users on your network, was it something that was easy to do or like kind of what were the difficulties in doing that
2: yeah absolutely and I think that's really really kind of interesting aspect so of, of all those users that we have um, I think maybe one of those had any experience with the cryptocurrency at all before and many of them are senior citizens I'd say about a third of our network is senior senior oh, citizens wow. um, and uh, I think that the, the the reasons why we had such success and I, I feel like it actually has been pretty pretty successful and pretty pretty overall frictionless is is that we do spend some like some brief you know 10 minutes of one-on-one time with someone kind of walking through the process and um, then we, we've also found that using words like digital currency instead of crypto and um, a payment app instead of an exchange is, is more accessible for people
0: interesting but otherwise they seem to get it like
2: yeah i mean i don't necessarily think they need to understand all the inner mechanics of it to be able to use it like how most people don't necessarily need to understand the inner mechanics of icloud in order to benefit from it and and i think that so i think in that case in that perspective they do and just if i can briefly i think what is kind of interesting though when we talk about decentralization and what it actually looks like You know, originally we set this network up selling people on the idea of faster and cheaper internet and, um, they bought into that, but I, I'm also now hearing that they're excited about the ideals of ownership and choice and, um, resiliency and all these sort of values that we, we, we think about, about decentralization that just kind of came into the equation as well.
0: Oh, interesting. That makes sense.
2: Yeah. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love what you said about how all they need is just like something that works and they don't need to understand how it works. Um, and actually that's why I wanted to interview you because I was kind of like oh this is like a really interesting little experiment where it like it seems kind of separated from like what a lot of people might talk about here at the conference but like this is like usage and adoption and like actual real people benefiting from uh, you know blockchains and cryptocurrencies so um, yeah so why don't you uh, then tell me about how you guys are expanding and where you're expanding like this is this only for rural areas or can you you know apply in urban areas
2: yeah so we're excited about about some of this new network starting, we have one in an urban area uh, south of Seattle called Tacoma, Washington, and this is a community of about um, twelve neighborhood of like twelve thousand people. So it's very urban within a couple of blocks there. And um, the what we did with this list is we started what we call an Althea hood. So the organizers there went and they they did some canvassing and they they pre-registered people that pre committed to, to this when it rolls out. And so we've already have eighty people pre committed to using this system um in, in their in their community and they should um looks like be rolling out shovel in the dirt in about a month. So that's very exciting. We do have another rural network in the Napa Valley in, in California, also coming on online, and um, in Abuja, Nigeria. So, oh wow! So <laughs> developing world uh, as well. So that'll be interesting to see. I think how it, how that traction happens. Um, and how did you even connect with that community? So we do we do organize our outreach. You know, just seeing you know, so people come to us and say, I think this is a good fit for my my network, my neighborhood, and then we have a training program that helps them learn about it and start networks and um if it sounds like it's a good fit then they continue to move forward with it
0: and in what situations would it make sense for urban populations to
2: well you know we think of urban populations as all having high-speed internet access and one of the things about being in that community in Tacoma was you know every, every maybe six households didn't actually have any internet access or they were only using mobile um and and it wasn't very accessible to them so uh I think that, and this was also a lower income area, so that we could compete on price. Oh, okay. Um, so you, you need, uh, we do find that a lot of people are upset about their internet service provider currently, you know, um, but that in, isn't enough to gain enough traction. You have to have some clearly better value proposition. So um, in, this, in this network, it was having a community-run network that was also, uh, can be competitive on the price. And it,
0: how does it compare to typical prices?
2: So in that in that neighborhood, that folks are paying about seventy dollars a month, and our network will be able to come in around forty.
0: Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. Wow. So, so it's like saving three yeah. hundred and fifty bucks a year. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about your experience here at DevCon or or what's going on with Althea?
2: Yeah, I think there's some really exciting things coming, and I'm, I'm so excited to see people working on UX and user-facing applications, and I'm um, excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, and um, thanks again.
0: Great. Well, thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks to you listeners for putting up with what might have been a, a kind of... A, slightly un, like, interrupted show because there was a lot of noise in the background. But anyway, uh, don't forget, next up is the news recap. So stick around for the second edition of This Week in Crypto after this short break. eToro gives you access to the most popular crypto assets on the market and its virtual trading and discussion features let you discuss and test trading strategies with a community of over 11 million other traders. And headline news, they have officially launched in the USA eToro offers the smartest trading tools and the ability to connect with the best traders around the world. Their trading fees are transparent and exceedingly low too, and it's available in one easy-to-use app. Get started at eToro.com, that's E-T-O-R-O.com, and build your crypto portfolio the smart way today. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the second edition of my weekly news recap. This one is titled, Upcoming Crypto Trend, The Air Tax? And I also like my tagline for the newsletter, which is, you get a tax, you get a tax, you get a tax. Greetings from Osaka, Japan, where it is almost 4 a.m. And I have not been on Japan time at all this week except for like one day. Um, but thankfully, I'm leaving in just a few hours ahead of Typhoon Hagibis. I think it's uh, pronounced. So my body will soon be reunited with the time zone that it just flat out refused to give up. All right. So before I get to the headlines, I just wanted to say, make sure to listen to this week's episode of Unchained with David Enolfato of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. He had a very pragmatic approach, which I found both refreshing and frustrating. When I asked him about the possibility of the U.S. dollar losing its global reserve status, he said, who cares? (laughs) Uh, So I wasn't really expecting a Federal Reserve economist to be that blasé. Uh, but anyway, it's getting a lot of, um, interesting comments on Twitter. So I think, I think people are finding it, uh, really fascinating. Also, you just heard my interview with Deborah Sempir of the decentralized internet service provider Althea network. I was searching out examples of how Ethereum is being used in the real world, and I really found it fascinating to learn about how her community in rural Oregon uses Ethereum. And I apologize that the interview may have sounded a bit rushed. It was not easy finding a quiet place to record. And even when I did, it was also really difficult keeping people from barging into the room. So I basically just tried to race through the interview. All right. First headline this week. New tax guidance on hard forks and airdrops not entirely clear. So the IRS released more crypto tax guidance, and it caused a bit of a ruckus. It did clear up at least some accounting-related questions, but then there were these other rules around taxing airdrops and hard forks that people thought would be either difficult to implement or based on misconceptions. And so the the difficult to implement part is that you can receive cryptocurrency via an airdrop, not be aware of that, and still have to pay taxes on it. So as Coin Center put it, quote, it's like owing income tax when someone buries a gold bar on your property and doesn't tell you about it. It's absurd and impossible to reasonably comply. The other wrinkle that they pointed out was that they feel the IRS did not use the terms airdrop or hard fork correctly, and that the agency sometimes conflated the two. On crypto Twitter, Coin Center Director of Research Peter Van Valkenburg. Also pointed out that actually one of the scenarios that the IRS used in its guidance is something that has never happened. And blockchain president and chief legal officer Marco Santori said that the guidance seems not to take into account the possibility of receiving an airdrop into a custo- into a self custodied wallet. Um, however, uh, on the uh, opposite side of the spectrum, crypto lawyer Patrick Merck did express the unpopular opinion that the hard forks and airdrops guidance actually makes sense. Next headline, Ethereum. <laughs> Lots of Ethereum news this week. Uh Ethereum released more details on the transition to 2.0. In the middle of CON 5 and the myriad of other adjacent events, Ethereum creator Vitalik Buterin managed to publish two posts addressing some of the bigger questions overhanging the shift to 2.0. One addresses what exactly what exactly developers w- will need to do for a smooth transition which is mainly increase gas costs and download the code to implement the upgrade. But otherwise, he says the changes for applications and users will be quite limited. The other question he answered via a blog post is whether applications will be able to talk to each other once sharding is implemented. And surprise, surprise, he says yes. We will see how that actually turns out. Uh, (laughs) It's all TBD. Next up, the SEC denies Bitwise's Bitcoin ETF application. All I can say about this is that at least they gave it careful consideration. The SEC released a 112-page rationale for the disapproval. Bitwise's Matt Hogan released a statement saying, quote, "...what matters is continued progress and the investment of time from regulators, and that's what we see here." And the company also tweeted, quote, "...historically, the journey to approval for first-of-a-kind ETPs, bonds, gold, non-transparent leverage, has taken multiple years." It's a good thing that they have that perspective because compound general counsel Jake Chervinsky tweeted, "quote At this point, it's reasonable to assume that Jay Clayton's SEC will never approve a Bitcoin ETF." Next story: MakerDAO multi collateral die to launch as as questions around governance continue. MakerDAO made a slew of announcements at DevCon, including the launch date for Multicollateral Die, which is November 18th. You guys, if you did not listen to the two interviews I did with CEO Rune Christensen earlier this year, we do cover how Multicollateral Dai works. So you should definitely check those out. They are like, honestly, I really find this system very fascinating. And um, I think you'll enjoy those interviews. Um, but just before DevCon, Bloomberg also published a piece on MakerDAO. And it went into more detail on some of the governance issues that have been docking the project. And I felt that it really raised questions about how compliance with the existing regulatory system and the ideals of decentralization can coexist. All right, now, time for some think pieces. Uh, placeholder wrote a piece on why protocols are not businesses. So Chris Berniske of Placeholder Ventures, uh, yes, he wrote this great post on why protocols are not businesses and instead says that what they do is provide structure for businesses. He says, quote, they are systems of logic that coordinate exchange between suppliers, meaning businesses, and consumers of a service. And Ali Yaya of A16Z Crypto had a tweet storm on why he does not believe that there will be one dominant blockchain. As he puts it, quote, the trade-off space that blockchains inhabit is far too large and high dimensional for a single blockchain to span all of it. I found both both pieces really interesting, or at least the latter was a tweet storm. You guys should definitely check those out. And... um you didn't think you were going to get away with no Libra headlines, did you? Because <laughs> I did find one Wired piece I found interesting, which showed that Libra Association members largely have ties to Facebook. So this graphic uh, shows the ways in which more than half the Libra Association members have direct or indirect ties to Facebook. In particular, investors DST and Andreessen Horowitz seem to be huge connectors. And the last headline will put one of the bigger sagas of the year to rest, hopefully, Quadriga CX widow to pay $9 million to customers. Coindesk reports that Jennifer Robertson, quote, will be turning over all assets except for roughly $162,700 in personal assets, which include cash, her retirement savings, a 2015 Jeep, some jewelry, personal furnishings, clothing, and some outstanding shares of Quadriga and affiliated entities. And finally, I always round out my newsletter with what I call fun bits. And um, (laughs) this is one where you just have to look at the photo. But um, I propose a new Bitcoin price tracker, which is Wences Casares' hair. Um, (laughs) Zappo CEO Wences Casares spoke on a panel while sporting basically a huge fro. And Vijay Boyapati tweeted, quote, I personally cannot wait to see what Wences' hair will look like when Bitcoin hits 100k. So that's it for this week's news. To learn more about the topics that Deborah and I discussed, as well as the stories from this week's news recap, be sure to share the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from fractal recording Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and Josh Durham. Thanks for listening.